You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Man, it is good to be with you. I love getting together with my church family and singing and reminding each other of the gospel and serving one another and just connecting. And I just love, that's my favorite part of the gathering, that buzz, just that, that crescendo of community there. And so welcome. We're so glad, so glad that you're here. Uh, to echo what Lisa said, we're a family. And so if you're a guest, that means it's like we have company today. And so I hope and pray that you feel like the VIPs that you are. If you need anything, just let us know. We'd love to help you. We'd love to have you over to the house for lunch in a couple weeks at First Step. And seriously, we're just so grateful for what God is doing here in our church community. And so I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are on page 980. If you are using the, black and, uh, the blue and white ones in the back that we provide, uh, if you don't have a Bible, take it. That's our gift to you. Seriously, we would love for you to continue to have a Bible, follow along as we go verse by verse each week. But as you go there, I want to talk to you for a moment about your cell phone. Uh Uh-oh. Did you hear that? They said, "Uh uh-oh. I want to talk about your cell phone. I want you to imagine that five minutes from now, we are in the middle of this gathering, right? And your phone, you get the following message directly to your phone right in the middle of the sermon. You have a Have you heard? I don't care how engaging the sermon is. I don't care how you are just like, "Mm, you're there, you're tracking. You peek down, you read, have you heard? And immediately your mind goes into excitement mode. Have I heard what, right? I don't know if it's good news. I don't know if it's bad news. I don't know if there's drama. I don't know if there's a scandal. But something has happened and everybody is talking about it. And so I ask the only logical question. And so you guys do the, you guys know the move, right? You have your Bibles open and you're just kind of look to the right, look to the left. And you have your Bible, you have your phone discreetly set on your Bible. And we all know how to text without looking, right? We're like, do, 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 do. And we just text with one finger and we go, what happened? What happened? What is it that everybody is talking about? Have you heard? Your brain immediately shifts into anticipation and excitement. Have you heard? And then the worst thing in the world happens. And we've all been here, right? They read the message. The three little dots come up that they're going to respond. And then the three dots go away. (laughs) Silence. What's happened? (laughs) Have you heard? Have you heard? I have a buddy who, without fail, he sends me these kinds of messages all the time during football season, right? The worst time to get these messages because I'll be at work or I'll be driving or I'll be with my kids. And he sends the following message, bro... You heard? And then he does that infuriating emoji with the eyes, which is like the, mm? have you heard yet? I'm just saying, right? And I'm just, what happened? I just assume because it's football season and because it's my buddy Chris, I'm like, my whole team has been traded, right? Every single player on my team has a broken femur and we're disqualified for the rest of my life. Like I just, that's where your mind goes. What has happened? Because have you heard? Have you heard? Friends, we're in this letter right now written to a group of people called the Philippians. And Paul, the author of the letter, he says, hey, when my phone blows up, when my timeline starts to light up like a Christmas tree, when the DMs start to pile up and people say, hey, Paul, have you heard? Paul, have you heard? 
Have you heard about the Philippians? He says, in that moment, I want them to only be referring to one thing. When his phone blows up and they go, hey, did you hear what's happening over there in Philippi? Have you heard about those people? Do you know what they are saying over there in Philippi? He says, I only want them to be referring to one thing. I only want, have you heard, to possibly mean one thing in Philippi. And this morning, as I share with you, just as Paul hoped to hear one thing, it is my hope that when people say, hey, have you heard about those people that meet in the YMCA? Hey, have you heard about the people who move the yoga mats every Sunday and they set up chairs and a little platform to talk about Jesus? Have you heard about East Point Church? My prayer is that they could only be referring to one thing. That when people say, have you heard, we know what they're talking about. Friends, have you heard? Have you heard? Well, Paul's going to tell us right now what he hopes to hear. And we find it beginning in verse 27. Read along with me here in your Bibles. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. This is God's word for our church this morning. And we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to break it down and look what it says. He says here in the first verse, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. Have you heard? If you've been tracking with us through this series, you know that Paul is in prison. Okay, he's writing this letter from prison, but he's fairly optimistic that this is not the end. He's fairly optimistic that he is going to see them again, that this is not leading to death, but to deliverance. And so he is anticipating a reunion with these Christians. But we're reminded again this morning that his primary concern is not a reunion. His primary concern is not being with them again. That would be nice, but he says, hey, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whether I ever see you again in the flesh or not, only let your manner of life be. Let your manner of life be. Conduct yourself in such a way And so we have six words here in English. Only let your manner of life be. Six words that we're using to try and translate one word. There's only one word here in the Greek, and it's a powerful word. I'm going to share it with you. It's the kind of word that you would get tattooed on your left bicep. It's that cool, okay? One word, and it was used in Philippi as an expression. And the word was polituomai. Polituomai. See, let me explain to you. You have to understand this, okay? Philippi was not in Italy. It was not in Rome. It was in Greece. And yet, because it was a Roman territory, you could, whether through your birth or through a lot of paperwork and a lot of money, you could become a Roman citizen. And so in this world, friends, of of chaos and turbulence and uncertainty, that status as a Roman citizen was everything. 
You're a Roman citizen. You have rights. And so you, you remember Paul. Remember he was beaten in the book of Acts? And then they found out that he was a Roman, and they go, oops. Because when you belong to Rome, it's as if you have the whole Roman Empire behind you saying, hey, if you mess with her, you're messing with me. Right? You want him, you're coming through me. I have the whole Roman Empire behind me saying, she is mine. He is mine. They're citizens of Rome. But with your status as a citizen, there's not only a right, there are also expectations. There are implications in your life if you're a citizen. And so they understood that if they were a Roman citizen, that there was a way in which they should live. There was a manner in which they should conduct themselves because they were expected to represent Rome. And so it's as if Rome said, hey, you're a citizen, but make sure that you are embodying everything that Rome stands for. And so they would look at each other, eye to eye, from one citizen to another, and they go, hey, polo tu am I. Polo tu am I. Don't forget, live like a citizen. Polo tu am I. They were reminding each other, from one Roman to another, that every aspect of your life should be informed and influenced by your status as a Roman citizen. Polo tu am I. Live a life that is fitting. Conduct yourself in a way that is worthy of Rome. Polo tu am I. And so Paul, he comes in here and he's writing this letter to this community, and he looks to these Roman citizens who would understand this. He looks to these Roman citizens, and he goes, hey, Philippians, polo tu am I. Polo tu am I. Steals this familiar expression, and he says, live like a citizen. Live a life that is fitting. Conduct yourself in a way that is worthy, but not of those who have received Roman citizenship. Live worthy of those who have received and are now standing in the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul, two of my friends, he says, I know that you're Romans. I know that you belong to the kingdom of Rome, but don't forget, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Polotuomai, don't forget, we are living under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. We are citizens of his kingdom. And so, friends, Polotuomai, live like a citizen. Live like a citizen. Live a life that is consistent with the gospel. Let every area of your life be governed and ruled and informed by this truth. Polotuomai. Still thinking about that tattoo? It's tight, right? And so here's what we have to understand, friends. As Christians, right, the gospel is not just a set of beliefs that we ascribe to, right? This is more than just our religious status or the Instagram bio that we post online. The gospel has implications. There are radical implications that are being worked out in our life. Let me say it this way. If this is true, it changes everything. If this is true, the death and the resurrection of Jesus aspect of our life begins to be influenced by and informed by and seen through the life-changing, radical, transforming filter of the gospel. We start to ask ourselves questions. 
What does the gospel say about this part of my life? What would a citizen in God's kingdom do in this situation? What does King Jesus have to say about this? And so let's run it back, right? Let's, let's have some fun here. Let's think very practically because all of us in our life, we have, we have aspects of our life due to our wounds. There are things we're carrying in our life due to burdens. Some of it, it's simply some of our temperament, our family experiences, our family of origin, whatever it is, just a matter of circumstance. We all have aspects of life that we're dealing with, and so we're carrying shame. We deal with insecurity. There's a deep longing for connection. All of us who are parents, I don't know a single parent who's like, oh yeah, I got that. Psh, perfect parent right here. Right? We're dealing with our parenting. We're working through career decisions. We're trying to figure out how to handle our money. And so here's what a citizen does, right? We look at these different aspects of life. And so let's take, for example, our shame. I'm unlovable. I'm dirty. I've messed up too much. I am beyond hope and it is too late to apologize. But then we look to the gospel and we remember, wait a minute, Jesus came near to me and he covered me and my sin in the perfect robe of righteousness of Jesus. And so now I don't avoid intimacy anymore. I don't fear being known because God sees me and he loves me. And so we now nudge another aspect of our life under the light of the gospel. Man, how many of us deal with insecurity? What if nobody wants me? What if nobody likes me? What if I don't have my declaration of affection reciprocated to me? If they really knew me, nobody would want me. And then the gospel reminds us you are perfectly known and loved by the Father because of Jesus so you can live confident. You can live secure in light of that. And so we nudge another aspect of our life under the light of the gospel. Friends, we are in the most connected world in all of human history with friends, followers, pages, channels, you name it. And yet there is a deep, deep, deep longing to truly be known, to have connection beyond surface level relationships. And the gospel tells us that God is with you and always, he's always with you and near to you that he moved heaven and earth to come and initiate a relationship with you and he's moved into your heart through his spirit and he communes with you always. And so we live in light of that. And so when the relationships in my life ebb and flow, if I feel unwanted or wanted, it doesn't matter because I'm secure in the fact that Jesus is with me. God loves me. I'm not clingy and I don't need desperately people. No, no, hey, I love people, but I have God. Man, what about our parenting, right? I don't care how many books you've read. I don't care how many podcasts you have or how many resources you use. All of us naturally tend to parent in the same way that we were parented, right? We look like our family of origin. That's just human nature. And yet when Jesus brings us into his family, he says, I don't want you to operate like your family of origin. I want you to operate like the family of God. And so now we start to realize, wait a minute, I'm harsh, I'm kind of manipulative with my kids. I put a lot of pressure. I use shame. I'm just very intense, whatever it is. And we go, wait a minute, remember the gospel. He's a perfect father. And he shows us what it looks like to parent as he parents us. And so now I'm moving even my parenting to live in light of the gospel. And I'm going to lay down my life for my children. 
I'm going to put their needs before me. Not because I read that in a book, but because I'm living in light of the gospel. What about your career? Come on, we know the name of the game. Make a name for yourself. Go get them. Be amazing. And yet, in light of the gospel, we realize that when Jesus saves us, he has filled us with new purpose an overarching, consuming passion to make his name great, not our own. And so now every aspect of our career is used to that end. Are you guys getting it? What about your money? Get yours. That's what the world says, right? Get after it. Get on that grind. Make more money. But what does the gospel say? The gospel says that when God saved you, you literally have become a prince. Do you know that? You're a princess. You are a child of the king of the kingdom. And so he takes care of our needs. I've never seen a prince be greedy and white-knuckled grip for money. I take whatever, I, we're, we're generous and we're open-handed because my father takes care of my needs. I don't have to get mine. I'm his. And so we live in light of the gospel. Friends, I can do example after example of this. But the point is that in these moments, when we are polotuamaying, when we are living in light of the gospel, your faith is becoming more than your religious status. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, people who have been in church your whole life. You have two options. You can go your whole life mimicking the behaviors and parroting the cliches and nobody would know. You could do that. You can learn how to be a Christian and act like it. But what we're talking about here is not behavior performance management. This is real transformation as the light of the gospel comes and shines on the aspects of our lives and we are genuinely changed from the inside out. This is what we say when we say we want to grow in our faith. Not to become more moral, not to behave more, not to be more whatever. It's that more and more of our life would be lived in light of these life-changing realities that we would be learning how to follow King Jesus, that we would truly be learning how to live like a citizen. Polatuomai. Polatuomai. Live like a citizen. And so there are numbers of examples that we can use, but I want to show you something here. You've got to pay attention to this. Don't miss this. This is not a MasterCard commercial. It's the gospel. Look at this little piece here. Do you see that? It's the sliver. Do you see that little sliver? Friends, there will always be aspects of our life that the gospel has not reached yet. That's why this whole series is called Unfinished. Because we will never be done. This circle will never perfectly be eclipsed until eternity, which means I need people, you need people, we need people in our lives who are able to get close enough to us to see the mess, to see the ugly parts, not to judge us, but to nudge us, to help us in a loving way to move more and more areas of our life to be informed by the gospel. I don't need more people in my life looking down on me, manipulating me, going, well, I'll, I'll really like you when you behave. I need people to say, I love you no matter who you are because Jesus loves me. And so, hey, in our love, let's talk about it. What does the gospel say about this? How does the reality of the kingdom come to bear on this decision, on this situation, on this moment? This is not about behaving. This is not about fitting in. This is about living like a citizen. And so Paul, he says, live like a citizen. Pull a two of mine. Every aspect of our life being informed by the gospel, 
But as he writes this, what I want to show you, there are two specific examples, two specific areas of your life that he has in mind when he says to pull a two am I. So he says, pull a two am I. Live like a citizen, specifically in these two ways. Let me show you really quickly. Number one, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The first thing we see, he says, live like a citizen, number one, and citizens maintain unity. Have you heard? Have you heard about the Philippians? Man, he says, I'll tell you what I want to hear. I want to hear that they are operating in one spirit. I want to hear that they have one mind, that they are united in heart one in purpose. They have the same posture, the same desire to live like a citizen. Not just on Sundays, not just a a passing unity. No, they are standing firm. They have their feet firmly planted on the ground of unity. And then notice this. I'm so visual, so I pick up on this, right? He says, striving side by side. So I I just picture two people who are working side by side. They are striving shoulder to shoulder. If somebody is in that posture, shoulder to shoulder, which way are they facing? The same direction. They are facing the same direction. If this were a sport, this is the posture that says, hey, same team, same team, same mission, same goal. This is the posture of unity. One spirit, one mind, side by side. And what are they pursuing together in unity? What is their shoulder-to-shoulder unity aiming them toward? They're striving side-by-side for what? You see it? For the faith of the gospel. They share in common a singular, life-consuming passion to see faith birthed as the gospel spreads to every corner of the world. To see faith birthed as the gospel spreads to every corner of our heart, as we live out the implications And what they realize is that all of their differences, all of their various backgrounds, all of their ethnicities, all of their personal preferences, all of those things are virtually meaningless when compared to the fact that the thing that they share in common is a singular aim. Same team, side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel. And that sounds nice. It's a good illustration, inspiring. Thank you, Sam. But come on, what about in real life? Come on, like when I have a fight, like how is that actually going to help me to think through how to get over this? Well, let's do a little exercise. I want you to take a moment and I want you to think of a time where you were at odds with another follower of Jesus. All right? Citizen on citizen crime right here, okay? I want you to think one citizen of the kingdom was at odds with another citizen of the kingdom. And I want you to think about it. Because if you think about it enough, if you go back and watch the tape, you will realize that there came a moment in your relationship. There came a moment in your relationship where you were no longer maintaining the shoulder-to-shoulder, same-direction posture. There came a moment where one of you or both of you was now no longer pursuing the faith of the gospel. You're now pursuing other things. And so there's one person who says, well, my aim, what I'm really striving for is comfort. What I'm really striving for is success. What I'm really striving for is I have this vendetta that I have and I have some bitterness here and I want vengeance. Or this person says, I want the payout. I just want a recognition. 
I want to be known. And what happens is, friends, the shoulder to shoulder, side by side, we're no longer facing the same direction, aiming for the same thing. Your pursuits are now in conflict with my pursuits. And that's the root of all odds. You see, we say, we just go, yeah, I don't like that person. No, no, no. What we really mean is they're in the way of what I want. Because if what they truly wanted to exalt Jesus was the same thing as what I truly wanted, there's no disunity. The root of disunity is you're in the way. I want comfort and you're in the way. I want success and you're in the way. I want recognition and you're in the light. You see, we're at odds. And that's where jealousy and strife and envy and bitterness, all of those things brew right there. And Paul, he makes it very clear, this will not do for citizens of heaven. That's not how we do things in the kingdom, he says. Citizens maintain unity. And so friends, Polotuamai, live like a citizen. Polotuamai, live like a citizen. And number one, citizens maintain unity. Look at the second thing he says here in verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So live like a citizen. Number one, citizens maintain unity. Number two, citizens live boldly. Citizens live boldly. Polotuamai. Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. And so here we go, right? If we're going to compare, if we're going to liken the shoulder-to-shoulder, eyes-forward posture, if we're going to liken that to sports, then you should know somebody's playing defense. If our mission is to see the faith of the gospel spread, there are people who don't want that. There are people in this world who are going to make it difficult for those who do want that. And at at best, it's an inconvenience. But at worst, that unwanted attention, that opposition is embarrassing. It's terrifying. In some cases, it's dangerous. There are people out here risking their lives because of opponents. There are pastors right now on the continent of Africa, my buddy who's a missionary over there, pastors who have been held in a storage facility, in a storage container for the last 10 years. They haven't seen the light of day. They haven't seen their families. They're kept alive and they're locked up. Why? Because there are opponents to the gospel and those people are pastors. And so Paul, he leans in here and he has that knowing look in his eye and he looks at them and he goes, hey, I get it. As every stroke of his pen jingles the chains that are around his wrist, he goes, oh, I get it. Pull it to am I. Pull it to am I. I get it. I know that you're engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had when I was with you. Remember Pastor Daniel preached Acts 16? You saw the conflict, and now you hear that I still have it. But I'm here to tell you, church, pull it to am I. Live like a citizen, and citizens live boldly. You see, friends, boldness is required because the world hated Jesus. And so the world will hate followers of Jesus. I mean, just think about it, right? Like his message was, hey, I'm here. You guys have messed up. You are falling very short of what I have designed humanity to be. But good news, I love you anyway, and I'm here to save you and redeem you. 
Most of us in this room, we go, yes, that's good news because we have responded in humility. But there are people in this world that they go, excuse me? Who do you think is messed up? You, oh, I need rescuing? I need saving? Oh, yeah, please, right? And they're offended by this message. And Jesus says, if that's how those people responded to me bringing the message, why would you expect them to respond any differently to you? John 15, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I remember when I was a teenager and I would struggle with this verse because I was like, man, I have a lot of friends. I'm well-liked. I have a lot of non-Christian teammates. And I just, what does that mean? The world hates me. Like, they don't hate me. Jesus doesn't mean that every single individual in your life will hate you, okay? As a matter of fact, if every individual hates you, it may not be because of the gospel. Like Peter literally says, he goes, make sure that they're offended by the gospel and not just because you're an evil doer, right? So, so he doesn't mean every individual will hate us. What he means is, at the end of the day, the world system, what the world stands for, the operating system of the world is diametrically opposed to what we now stand for in this kingdom. That's what he means. At the end of the day, what we stand for is the opposite of what the world stands for. I had a student I want to introduce you to. This is uh, one of my students, Allison. I've had Allison since she was in fifth grade, and she just graduated last year, and I got to go back and see her graduation and all that, and, and Allison is awesome, but she learned firsthand that citizens live boldly. You see, she's a freshman in college now, and she called me, and she told me about this moment in class. And it was, you know, toward the end of the period, the teacher said, all right, we have five minutes left, talk amongst yourself before we dismiss. And the, the circle of the chairs, they kind of turned in, and the conversation quickly turned to reproductive rights. Reproductive rights, right? Abortion. And very shortly, very quickly into that conversation, she realized she did not have home field advantage, she was in the minority. And in that moment, she was just like, just kind of falling back into herself, trying to just don't make waves, don't make any sudden movements, just, just be, be invisible, you know, because she realized this circle was growing more and more agitated and more and more kind of antagonistic about, yeah, and those people and some people out there, and can you believe all this stuff? And she goes, man, I am in the minority here. And there came a moment where the conversation dulled and everybody turned to the quiet girl. Hey, you're quiet. What do you think about all this? Pull a two of my Allison. Pull a two of my citizens live boldly. Every single one of us in this room, I don't care how nice you are, I don't care how tactful you are and how social you are. You're like, you know, Jesus was offensive. I'm likable. I can get the message across. I don't care how nice you are. There will come a moment where the beliefs that you hold to will be brought into the light and seen for what they are the opposite of the world's ways. That moment at work with a coworker, that moment in, in your family gathering, that moment in class, that moment on social media, that moment in the locker room, whatever the hot topic of the day is, the Bible, abortion, your sexual ethics, you will have this moment where your beliefs are brought into the light and the operating system of the kingdom is seen as diametrically opposed to the operating system of the world. And in those moments, church, I'm here to tell you, polo tu am I. Live like a citizen. Citizens live boldly. Be bold. 
Don't be ashamed. With full courage, now as always, represent the kingdom. Represent. And do you know what will help us represent well? Remembering that it's a privilege. Remembering that it's a privilege. Look what he says. It has been granted to you. Granted. That's like gift language, right? Like, hey, I grant you the keys to my car. Here you go, right? Like, that's a gift. That is a privilege. You didn't earn it. I have bestowed this on you. And so Paul says, hey, it has been granted to you, number one, that you would believe in him. If you believe in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been brought into his family, that was a gift. It was a privilege. You didn't earn it. And he speaks about suffering in the same way. He says, you were granted to believe in him. You were also granted to suffer for his sake. I emoji. How many of us go around viewing opposition like, yes, I got to be opposed for the sake of the gospel. Yes, I have opponents in my life now. Yes, there are people who are aiming at me, trying to take me down. Do you really act like that in your life? Is that how we view suffering and opposition? That's how they viewed it in the book of Acts. Check this out, Acts 5. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They celebrated with joy because they realized that it was a privilege to be so closely identified to Christ and to experience that moment of nearness with him. You see, friends, what my little sister Allison learned and what we learned is that when you are being opposed for following Jesus, in those moments, you are actually experiencing the privilege of standing next to Jesus, near to him, and with him as you experience the same things that he did. You see, in those moments, you were reminded, hey, he's right next to your side. And if we are with him, partaking in the sufferings, then that means we will also be with him when he partakes in the resurrection and of eternal life. You see, Allison learned that day as she sat in that circle and she had the eye rolls, when she had the disdaining looks, when she had the mockers and the scoffers. In that moment, it was as if Jesus was right next to her and he goes, hey, I got the same looks and I'm with you and I'm near to you. And she experienced the nearness of Christ. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. See, friends, when we live united, when we live boldly, look what happens. He says, this is a clear sign. Okay? It's a sign. Our boldness in the face of opposition is a sign. Our unity in the midst of a world that is fighting and airing out their dirty laundry on social media, the unity of our church, the boldness of our people, that is a sign to those who oppose us. It's a sign of their destruction. Here's what I mean. Paul is saying, it is like a blaring signal light saying, warning, 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 Because as they see us, they they see that something bigger is going on here than just an ordinary movement of people. They come after the church. They come after the church, and it's not working. And he says, yes, your resiliency, your boldness is like a flashing sign. Warning, warning, this is supernatural. Warning, warning, this is unstoppable. Warning, warning, they've been trying to crush it for 2,000 years. Warning, you're on the wrong side and you're headed for destruction. It's a sign to them. 
our boldness is a sign to them, but it's also a sign to us of our salvation. It's a sign when we look around and we see that it's like whack-a-mole. Everywhere that the world tries to crush down the gospel, it pops up in 10 other places. For every pastor that's martyred, there's 10 churches that rise up in the underground church of China. For every pastor that's locked up in Africa, there's five new church plants. For every minister that's slayed, there are hundreds that go off and they are bold. Nothing can stop the spread of the gospel. And when we see the resiliency and the boldness of the church, we're reminded, oh yeah, warning, warning, we're good. We're on the right side. In the end, we win. We have salvation. And that from God. And so church, pull it to a mind. Live boldly because we're on the king's side. We are part of an undefeated, unstoppable kingdom as citizens. And so church, let's live like a citizen. Let's live like a citizen. Pull it to a mind. Live like a citizen. And so here's the question I want to ask you as we wrap up here. What areas of your life does the Lord want to transform to look more like a citizen? What areas of your life does the gospel need to be a filter over and shine a light on and transform you? Where does he want to transform you? Where does he want you to live more like a citizen? And as you think about that area, let me encourage you. This is not a pep rally. You can do it. Go be better. Be more. Be a citizen. This is not a pep rally. This is a a gospel reminder that the very God who calls you to be like a citizen actually empowers you. And he transforms you. And he puts his spirit inside of you. He puts the laws of the land. He puts the ways of the kingdom on your heart. And he makes you able to obey him. And he walks with you. And he gives you the grace of community and the grace of his word. So live like a citizen is not a pep rally. It's an invitation. Let him transform you. Let him take the areas of your life that look like your family of origin and let him show you what it looks like to live in the family of God so that we can pull a two of mine together and live like citizens. Let me pray. Lord, we love you, Father. We thank you for the beautiful truth of the gospel that you have saved us And Lord, you didn't just save us, but you're transforming us. You're moving us to look more and more like Jesus. And so my prayer is that we would be a church that is growing in faith, not mimicking the behaviors, not echoing and parroting the cliches. We don't want to just look more Christian. Father, we want to be transformed from the inside out. So change us, I pray. Help us to live like a citizen and represent you well so that you may receive all of the glory because that is the end of everything that we do, Lord, to see you glorified. We love you, Father. We praise your name. We pray this in Jesus. And the church said. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.